Good morning. So I'm going to, I want to start, because I, I think about this, it comes up fairly regularly for me, and I think I communicate that often, but we know the Word of God is living and powerful. We know how important and essential it is. It's our food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I want to just continue to encourage you in your Bible reading, if nothing else, that you're reading your Bible. Uh, this is Acts 27 today. We have one more chapter so I've been encouraging you to come having read at least that chapter. The other thing that comes to mind often for me is maybe you come and it's the only time that you read your Bible. So for that reason, among many, I'm going to encourage all of us as I'm going through it that you would read along with me, that you would have your, your uh, whatever it might be, your device or your book, and that you'll just read along with me. And as I go to some passages, you'll turn there because a good working, God uses people who have a, among other things, have a good working knowledge of the Bible. And the only way that's going to happen is sort of a daily, uh, the word repetition comes to mind, just a daily diligence to read your Bible. So I think that as one raised in Calvary chapels, I have heard that my whole life just about. But I, I so know and believe that just reading the Bible will absolutely change your life because it's living and powerful. And it's, it's God's word. So it's not just another book. So I think every sense I can use to take it in, whether that's reading it, memorizing it, studying it, listening to it, whatever it takes. Would you give me a hearty amen on that? Okay, so I want to again, just begin with that this morning. So Acts, we're going to be in Acts 27 um, this morning, st- staying the course. I want to talk about the making of a testimony, but this morning more staying the course, <laughs> staying with Jesus, keep, keep on keeping on, as I say often. So, but before we do that, this morning, the people, that people are being pummeled, or have been, by Hurricane Florence. And so, the, the uh, governor of North Carolina called the, the, uh, the, torn- the hurricane an un- uninvited brute. I like, I mean, I don't, they don't like it, but I think that detail, and this morning in our study here in Acts 27, it's an uninvited brute that comes in. So it's an interesting alignment of what's gone on, and we're, we're hearing about it, but it has destroyed, I think the count now is 13 people destroyed, millions don't have electricity right now, no, no, none of that, and it's just a mess, and we, we actually went down when, when Katrina hit, we went down there, and People just have great needs this morning, and we can at least minimally pray for them. So I'd like to begin praying for them this morning, and then we'll get in the Word. Father, we thank you again that you are a good, gracious, merciful God, and that, Lord, you know all things. There's nothing that surprises you. As we're going to look at this morning, you're in control of all, everything. And so we simply bow our hearts before you and ask you, Lord, to be merciful and gracious to the many, many people that are experiencing what they are because of this hurricane. We're praying for your church, your people, to be a witness and a testimony in doing good and helping and just being available so that, Lord, through this thing, you will draw many, many, many people to a a living relationship with you. And, Lord, as we get in the Word this morning, we're looking at this whole storm. Lord, we're praying that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, right in this room, in the lobby, that's listening, that today would be the day when they get on board. And they come, Lord, and make their confession, repentance, and asking you to save them by forgiving them through the work of the cross, filling them with your spirit, and they walk out of this building today 
knowing you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. So, Lord, we just lift it to you. I pray the things I prepared, you break them fresh for us. Feed us, Lord. We're hungry. We want to grow in our most holy faith. We want to be those that are standing strong in our faith, walking with you. And, Lord, bottom line, we want to stay the course. We want to stay the course. In Jesus' name, amen. So to begin, uh, I'm going to put a map up there. This is, this is what we're looking at today. Now, I have a little pointer, but I don't know if I need it if I just say one, two, three, four. I like doing this, though, because I don't get to do it a whole lot, so we can jump around. But <laughs> So <laughs> if you have your Bibles, I'm just gonna, we're going to go through the chapter. We're going to take the first half or so, just go through the chapter, look at the map. That really helps me. Maybe it helps you, too. I hope so. But go to Acts, the last verse, Acts 26, 32. It says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, Now remember, Paul has been going through these different trials, uh, sort of defending himself and what happened because he's been accused of a lot of things. So Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So the whole thing begins now in Caesarea, which is where that took place. Now chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, the centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramentia, which would be home base for the ship, we put to sea. Meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, number two. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Verse 4, when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now, it was very difficult to sail east to west uh, in the Mediterranean. Things became contrary, so the, the, the prevailing winds were always the opposite direction. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia, we came to Myra, number 3, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy... And he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, which is number four, the wind, again, not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Now, so it's getting more and more difficult. Verse eight, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, number five, near the city of Lycia. Now, When much time had been spent and sailing was now difficult but now dangerous because of the fast, which so this would be the fast probably of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now it was already, so it's September, October. Interesting, next weekend for our calendar is when Yom Kippur is celebrated in this 2018. So we're right there. It's the same kind of season where we would be, uh, we were there at that time. Now notice what happened. Paul advised them, verse 10, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster. So it's gone from difficulty to dangerous to disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship, the owner always gets last word, than by the things spoken by Paul. So he's outnumbered. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, number six, they never did. But notice, by any means. So they're seeking to get to Phoenix. They never did. 
a harbor off Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. Be better place. They got better restaurants, better hotels and all that. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they'd obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon, I think is how you say it, Eurachlodon, which two words means east and storm. So this eastern storm, which was common, this, this Eurachlodon arose. Verse 15, so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Number seven, here we go. Now the ship was a cargo ship, probably from Egypt, a grain ship. Large ship of about 150 feet with one mast and one sail. And it was, it was, it was uh, guided by oars out of the bottom of the boat. So basically, it needed the sail. Didn't have an outboard motor to it. So this is what's happening. There they are. The ship was not easily maneuvered. So it depended on the, on the wind needed to get it to where they were trying to get it. But verse 16, running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, which is a small island about 25 miles south of Crete, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the citrus sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And that's the wiggly lines up there. They're all over the place uh, here. Now, this, this whole, what they were doing was known, and many, I'm not a sailor, but it's, it's known as frapping the ship. So they take these huge ropes and bind the ship with them. It's kind of like when you tie down your... Um, your truck with stuff in it. You sort of frap it. That's the idea here. So they get everything tied down. Verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So these prisoners now were probably loosed so they could help out. It's, it's getting bad, really bad. Verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, I mean, this is bad news, and no small tempest beat on us, it was huge, all hope, notice, all hope that we should be saved was finally given up. In other words, these seasoned sailors, the captain, are all saying, it's done, we're over. The ship's going down and we're going with it. No control of any of it, and they come to this place where they're saying, we're going to die. Now, I want to lighten it up a little bit. What lies at the bottom of the ocean and shakes a lot? A nervous wreck. Okay. Verse 21. <laughs> but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Now, I'm not sure they really wanted to hear that. <laughs> but I think everyone's so wasted, they don't have the strength, and Paul knew it, to throw them overboard. You should have listened to me. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. They're so seasick, they can't even eat. Now, I, I've, that's not, I've been on a very few boats because they're not my favorite. I've gotten to see just a little bit. Some of you know what it is to be seasick. I mean, really seasick to where they can't even think about a morsel of food to eat. So let me lighten it a little more. Like the sailor who was up on the bridge and was so sick he couldn't. He couldn't even eat. Someone came up and said, has the captain come up yet? He said, if I swallowed him, he has. <laughs> okay. I thought it was a good joke, but obviously I'll, 
I'll try it on the next audience, okay? And now verse 22, I urge you to take heart. Notice Paul saying, take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart. Again, take heart, men. For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So Paul's saying, we're all going to be safe, but it's not going to be a very pretty landing. So he's basically giving them a prophetic word from God. This is what's going to happen. Now, they had lost all hope. So no doubt they're clinging to this thread for them that maybe what Paul's saying is true. So Paul takes charge. He's telling them to take heart. Verse 27. Now when the 14th night had come, two solid weeks, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. Now as you look at the map here, the Adriatic Sea at this time also went down. Let me get my pointer because then you can (laughs) There you go. It also was, this was also considered here the Adriatic Sea at this point in history. And so about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. So number nine, they're starting to come closer and closer to what they, they uh, they're doing these, these checking the fathoms. So they took soundings, verse 28, and found it to be 20 fathoms. Now a fathom is six feet, so it's 120 feet. It's 120 feet deep. Now these guys are sailors. They're saying, hey, we're coming up on something. And so verse 29, then fearing... Lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed, and you know, and prayed, and prayed for what? Day to come. Give me some light. Verse 30, and as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. So you see how much they trust Paul. Now he's leading the charge here. He's leading the ship. And he had their respect. They're listening to him. Paul, what he said would happen is exactly what did happen. He heard from God. He was an experienced Mediterranean traveler, by the way. He was shipwrecked three times, so he knew what it was like. He was one night in the deep. He's hanging onto boards in the Mediterranean. So he knew exactly what it was like to sail and be shipwrecked. So verse 33, and as the day was about to dawn, so they're praying for the day to come. Here it is, about to dawn. Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continue without food and eaten nothing. Two weeks. Uh, a good diet, if you like that means of losing weight. <laughs> Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Jesus said that. He quoted that. We'll look at that in a little bit. So Paul tells them, fuel up. Get out the energy bars, the five-hour drinks. Get ready, because pretty soon you're going to be swimming. 
And when he had said these things, he took bread. Notice, this is so fantastic. In the midst of all of this, and know also, this isn't a nice quiet room they're in. There's a storm still going. The winds are howling. The rain is coming down. And Paul says, and take heart, eat. And then, once he says that, he took bread, gave thanks to God. He gave thanks to God. In the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. So Paul prays with 275 people on a doomed ship, giving thanks to God. Now, I don't know how many people on that ship were giving thanks to God, but I don't think many of them. But Paul, in his relationship with God, turns to him and says, thank you, Lord. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, there were 275 persons on the ship. So, verse 38, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize land. They didn't know where they were. But they observed a bay with a beach. Man, we got to make it to that beach, onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, so they cut them away. No more anchors. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, so probably the sand deposit, whatever, where these two seas met, striking, again, this is number nine, they're coming up. A place where two seas met, this is verse 41. They ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. There's a storm still waging. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. That would be doomed for the soldiers. But the centurion, here he is again, Julius. But the centurion, notice, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to the land. 276 people on a doomed vessel who thought it was all over. He, they are now escaped safely, all of them, to land. What a great ending. Notice verse, chapter 28 and verse 1. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta, number 10. So we'll pick this up next week. So this whole idea, a question that comes up, is now just some of my thoughts on this. The question often comes up, why would Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spend such a large portion of the gospel of, of the book of Acts to talk about this voyage? And that's a good question. I think everyone likes a dramatic story. And God knows we like stories. Let me say to you, the Bible is filled with stories. And they minister to us. They talk about life to us. Now, know this. The stories in the Bible are not just stories. They're true. Unless obviously indicated. So, God's word is about history that really happened. Given to us that we might, in these stories, see and reflect on our own relationship with God. And begin to learn the things that are eternal in the context of being human. And so it's a dramatic story. They capture our attention. They teach us lessons. They're and in here in this one, it shows Paul. Tremendous courage. Tremendous faith in God. Gifting and leadership that 
that God then demonstrates through Paul through this tremendous storm. Paul takes a crisis situation and through prayer and perseverance, single-handedly with the help of God, finds a whole boatload of people witnessing God in what he did. You see, sailing and storms are illustrations of life. Life is pictured as a voyage that we're on. We hope our lives will be filled with smooth sailing. Can I hear an amen? That's what we hope. Lord, give me smooth sailing. But often that's not the case. What we really pray and hope for is that we're never shipwrecked. Amen? Now, Paul used these experiences as means of illustration to make a point in the letters that he wrote. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19. Paul tells to Timothy, his young son in the faith, he says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy. I'm telling you something, this charge I commit to you. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So Paul said to Timothy, I want you to take hold of the things that God's put in your life and wage the warfare and walk it out no matter what's happening. He goes on to say this, having faith and a good conscience. He's saying you need to be equipped with faith and a good conscience before God. We talked about both of those things. We'll talk a little about faith today. But he says this, which some, faith and a good conscience, have rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. You see, it's really important that we understand what God's called us to and equipped us for. And with faith and a good conscience, we wage the battle and not find ourselves shipwrecked because we reject those things. Paul wrote to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich. Now, desire, we'll talk about this again in a little bit. In a little bit. But desire, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which here it is, drown men in destruction and perdition. In other words, if the desire, the driving desire, the driving motivation is to be rich, watch out. Because eventually it will drown out your life. It will be destruction and perdition. So Paul uses this often. Now, I really like Psalm 107. So if you turn there, because here the psalmist captures the reality of a storm-ravaged joint voyage. So in Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23, read with me if you would. I'm I'm using the New King James Version. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind. So a sailor out in the ship, you see this thing coming, and they see this incredible power. Raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are noticed at their wits ends all over. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. 
He calms the storm so that its waves are still. That is God. Then they are glad because they are quiet. And so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to God for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I believe that when people go through these kinds of voyages and they make it safe, they get on that, prop, on that beach and they say, thank you, God. But he's saying, oh, that men would give thanks to, the, to God for his goodness and his wonderful works among the children. He has saved us countless times. The truth is this. The eternal, omnipotent God is at the helm of the entire universe. That's the truth. He's in charge of every single raindrop, lightning bolt, wave, and stormy sea. Do you believe that this morning? The disciples marveled when Jesus arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and they said, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the eternal, omnipotent Son of God. That's who he is. And so when he came to earth, he demonstrated his authority over nature and all of its power, over the demonic realm and all of those principalities and powers. They're no match for Jesus because he's God. He created all of those things. Devil's no match for him. He's created. He's no match for, for God. And as long as we're on board with him, <laughs> neither are they any match for us. We're no match for him, but, but Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Growing up, I saw this picture every week in our first Baptist church in Nyack, New York. And when I was 10 years old, I went every Sunday and every midweek, I saw this picture hanging up on the wall in the church. Isn't that a great picture? At 10 years old, a young 10-year-old boy, I committed my life to Christ and was baptized. And I want to tell you, I've been off, I was off course for a few years. But I have learned that Jesus is in charge of my destiny. My destination is already determined, and God is in, is, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I know that where he is, I will be also. My destiny, my destination is secure because I put my faith in Christ. I need to hear an amen from you who have also. That's the truth. That's the truth. And so, the end of the service, we must give an opportunity to you who have not experienced what it's like to sail life with Jesus Christ, to have that assurance of your salvation, to know that when you die, your destiny is already determined, and that is to be with God for all eternity. It's, it, it was secured for you through the cross that he died on for your sin. So when we're done, I want to give you an, ex, an experience. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn you in your sin. He came to save you from your sin, to rescue you from the results of sin in this world. And so I hope that when we give that opportunity, and you haven't done that, that today will be the day when you get on board the ship, wherever that might be in your life, and know that Jesus is with you wherever you're going. So I'm going to give you now the second...
few minutes we have here. I want to give you three thoughts that come to my mind when it comes to staying the course. And I look at them as a threefold cord. How do we stay the course? Three things. We have to stay the course. You, you and I must stay the course with your friends. Secondly, stay the course with your fears because everyone has fears. And third, we'll get to these, stay the course with your faith. Stay the course with your faith. So number one, stay the course, can we just have the first one, with your friends. Paul had tremendous friends. In this voyage, two are mentioned, not one directly, that is Luke. Because you see in this passage, in Acts also, we and us. The we includes Luke who wrote the gospel, a dear friend of Paul the Apostle. Aristarchus is mentioned here in, chapter, in verse 2. Aristarchus, a Macedonian, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Paul and, and Aristarchus had a tremendous friendship. Aristarchus accompanied him to Rome. Aristarchus stayed there when Paul was in prison in Rome. And brothers and sisters, we need friends who will be there. And brothers and sisters, we have friends. Friends, and this, during times of storms, how our friends are so needed to stay the course, to keep on keeping on when things get real difficult. I love Julius, Julius the Centurion because I believe that he and Paul had a friendship. When you see what happened, I think there's tremendous respect from two very powerful, if you will, men, very revered men, men who gave their lives to being excellent in what they did, who were zealous for what they did, who were very conscientious about how they lived. I believe there's a tremendous respect going on. In fact, in the book of Acts, anytime a centurion or Roman soldier is mentioned, it's in a good light. And this man, Julius, was, a, was, a, was that kind of a, of a man as a soldier and a captain. Notice verse 3, when we landed at Sidon, Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape, but the centurion wanting to save Paul. So there was a real friendship went on here between these two men. Now in Acts chapter 28 in verse 16, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldiers who guarded him. And Paul looked at that whole thing as being, this is great. I'm chained to soldiers. I get to tell him about Jesus. That's what he tells us in, in his letters. So first of all, stay the course with your friends. Now, I look at, there's three friends here. Number one, it's your earthly friends, which we have. Many of us, like Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Now, another one says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So even when you're not friendly, they stay. That's what I think he's saying there. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of what? A friend. But the kiss of an enemy are deceitful. So first of all, your earthly friends. Secondly, your character friends. Now, we all have friends who are real characters. Can you hear an amen? And we love to be around them. They just sort of lighten the load many times. And they're just characters that there. But I'm not talking about those kind of friends. I'm talking about the, the character friends of things like humility. 
Things like compassion and kindness and goodness and all these things we're seeing through Paul. Through the character of forgiveness, the character of long-suffering. You see, those are needed friends when, when, when life gets difficult. So make sure that you're, you're staying the course with those friends, your character, my character. And then finally, obviously, stay the course with your best friend, and that's Jesus. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends, because all things I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. He, he wants to have this deep intimacy with us. He is our best friend, bar none. Now, the second, staying the course now with your fears. Now, verse 1 says this, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, and then it says they put us on board, and they put us on board. You see, here's the deal. Decisions determine destination. And direction, excuse me, decisions determine direction, and direction determines the destination. So decisions are really important. Can I hear an amen? And so as those on this voyage on these stormy seas, or calm seas, we are wise to chart our course very carefully. Psalm 90 says this, verse 12, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off. So however long we do live, there's a lot of trouble going on. And we fly away did a memorial yesterday, and we sang that song, I'll fly away, and certainly we will. Amen, Conchita? So then he says this, so teach us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We must choose, make decisions carefully. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going we're gonna to do, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city." Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to, for what is your life, he says, it's a vapor. Pierce for a little while, then vanishes away. So James is very articulate and being very direct. <laughs> Come now, you say today, tomorrow we're going to do such and such. Go to city, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because your, your life is a vapor. It could be gone tomorrow, and that's the truth. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall, first thing he says, if the Lord wills, we shall live. Then that's the truth. If I'm going to be here tomorrow, it's because God willed me to be here tomorrow. If the Lord wills, we shall live. And then he says, and do this or that. If the Lord wills that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boast is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, there are decisions that we're making that's very clear as to what the decision should be. God's already laid it out. And if I'm not doing God's will, if I'm not seeking to really do what God said, I'm making bad choices. Making bad choices. So how do I make good choices? I, first of all, want to do the things that are clearly laid out. My wife, Charlotte, has said this. I've shared it before. She said, I'm not so troubled by the things I don't understand in the Bible. I'm disturbed by the things I do understand because I know what he's saying and I don't do it. How many would say amen to that? You don't have to say amen. Okay. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Nothing's changed inside. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the storm. And the floods came, and the wind beat on that house, the storms. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. That is obedience to the things that we understand and know. But then he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Not a sand foundation, no foundation. Sand is not a foundation. The rain descended, the floods came, the wind beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You see, if we're, we're fooling ourselves, and let me say this, the first commandment to anyone is the commandment to repent and receive Christ for the forgiveness of sin. It starts there. He is the cornerstone. Luke tells us the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. Said, no. Jesus said, whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my family. So important. Unless you mistakenly think that God is a tyrant, capriciously deciding if he just might let you live, let me read to you what he said. This is in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 27. First of all, he says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But fear him, capital H, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, God would be right to send us all to hell because of sin. Justly, he could do that. He goes on to say this. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Do not fear again, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, context. I share this most, after most every service. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny. No, it's our choice, our decision. But you can't say that God doesn't care. He does. You can't say he doesn't love you. He does. He demonstrated that. And it's your choice. It's your decision to decide, I want to get right with God. A decision made all on board, and here we go. How many of you experienced that? It happens when we get on board in marriage. It happens when we get on board in parenting. It happens when we get on board in decisions we make to go to school or move here or move that. It's hey, everyone on board. Now, here's the difficult thing. And this is what Paul is experiencing. You see, Paul's a prisoner. He doesn't get to decide for himself. And it's always difficult when other decisions that people are making impact us, and we really would rather not. Can I hear an amen? And it happens in the depths of the love we have as family. It happens there. Decisions made that impact us. Loving parents, loving husbands and wives, caring leaders. It could be a... A seasoned coach's decision That's dis that decides whether they win or lose the Super Bowl. Go Huskies. 
You're not getting my jokes this morning, and I, I'm trying to wonder if I missed it. A decision made, a direction determined, here we go. Now, it's difficult when we find ourselves in out-of-control situations. We have no control in them. It's difficult. And so staying the course with your fears, it's important to know how to do that. And when we can and are making decisions, I want to share with you three things. When we are making decisions that I pulled out of these texts, you see, here we go. In different phases of life. Here we're on board. It's happening. And the storms are raising. And it's difficult. Dangers are coming. Difficult. Disasters. Even failure. And there it is. Right there. And we're, we're in the midst of it. And there's nothing we can do. We've come to our wit's end. And when the winds are no longer soft and hopeful. They begin to blow contrary. They're not permitting us to go ahead like we want to. Suddenly it turns into this impossible headwind that we can't do anything about. And we find ourselves just letting it be driven. We're, there we are. They're scary sometimes, the weather conditions. And I I wrote here, you need to weather the weathers. Whether or not we can can do this or that, whether or not this is going to happen, that's what we deal with in these things. We, 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 We need to buckle down, if you will, and ride it out, knowing that God is God. Decisions determine direction. Direction determines destination. Someone's also added, and destination determines destiny. Where are we headed? What are we doing? How are we getting there? And there's nothing we can do when the decisions are out of our control. So here are three things very simply. Number one, as Paul, be perceptive and go with your guts. I'm finding that more and more as I grow. I'm 65, so God has given me a little more wisdom than I had when I was 18. And I find more and more that there's this unction in my guts from the Holy Spirit that gives me a sort of a red flag. Like, you ever watch My Favorite Martian? No. You're not old enough. Okay. <laughs> be perceptive. Go with your guts. Listen, the majority may well be wrong. Whether it's three against one or 300, many times the majority opinion is not the right opinion. So I would say, first of all, for me, and I hope to you, it helps you, go with your guts because the majority can be wrong. Secondly, be patient and be willing to pause or postpone the trip. Be willing to say, you know, it's, it's worth the wait. Because right now, I'm just, I'm perceived, this is not going to be good. And it's hard sometimes to do that. Because as my final thought on this one, beware because strong desires can be very deceptive, and it's not worth the wreck. It's worth waiting. And so desires, as James, as we read that, those desires can turn into the winds of the temptation. We're hoisting the sail of temptation, and it begins to blow us on. And first of all, it's difficult, then it gets dangerous, and then it's a disaster. As James says, God's not the one tempting us, but we're tempting, we're drawn away by our own desires. You see, strong desires can be deceptive. They're wanting to get to this other place because they got better hotels and better restaurants. They got a lot more sun there. So we don't want to stay here. But sometimes it's important to wait. Postpone it. Don't do it. Don't just be, the answer isn't blowing in the wind. (laughs) So the course is often anything but smooth sailing. Rather, unseen storms, rough waters beset us with fearful unknowns. How many times have I read it and then heard it in my heart? My heavenly father saying to me, do not be afraid. 
Do not fear. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm on board, if you will. Fears come with this earthly voyage. So we must not only stay on course with our friends, but we must stay on course with our faith. It's that threefold cord. Now, I want to interject something that someone shared with me last night that I thought was fantastic. Fourteen days. They're not eating, and they're just tempest-tossed. And this dear brother, who's endured much affliction, much difficulty, he shared with me how he used to wonder why the book of Job, which we're going to be studying in our next series, why the book of Job has to be 42 chapters. And I thought, that's correct, because I've been reading and studying. I said, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Why does it have to be 42 chapters? Because what you have is this dialogue of back and forth and on and on, and it really gets nowhere, and his, and his friends are pitifully merciless. And here it goes, on and on. But what, what, was, what he said is this. He thought, everyone has different breakpoints where God then reveals himself as sufficient. So as it relates to Acts 20, and he was thinking this while I was teaching, 14 days may have been the amount of time needed so that everyone on that ship came to their breaking point. And it says in verse 30, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They all, and then God intervenes. And I have found that. Sometimes it's God's mercy and grace bringing me to the break point where all I can do is cry out to him and in my faith hold on to who he is. And I found it interesting as God appears to Paul and says, I'm with you. Your future's not over. God finally answers Job. Get this. He finally answers Job what? Out of the whirlwind. There it is, the whirlwind. And God responds to Job out of the whirlwind. They're at their wit's end. The psalm that we read. They cry out. And with Job, God finally reveals himself to him. Finally, in just three short things here, stay in the course with your faith. Number one, take heart. That's what faith does. Take heart. Paul said, take heart. He had a word from the Lord. Take heart. And may, and may I say again, the word of God is God's means of, of ministering to you. Take heart. Secondly, take soundings. <laughs> What's the depth? What's the depth? What do we seem to be coming to? And how do we do that? We pray and we wait. And that's what they did. They prayed and they waited until the day came, the light came. Third, in this area of stay the course with your faith, take nourishment. You see, faith strengthens and encourages the soul. Believe God no matter what. And the ending of this story, as we'll close here in giving an opportunity for anyone to come to know Jesus this morning, God will make that way of escape for you. He'll bring you to that desired haven. He'll get you there safely, one way or one place or the other. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again to be able to get into your word and share it. And Lord, the desire we have is to be strong and built up in our most holy faith. So Lord, we believe you. We believe that you're the captain of our salvation. We believe that you're the helm of all things that happen. You allow things for your purposes and your plans, which are good, to give us a hope and an expected end. We believe that. And Lord, I'm praying for anyone here this morning who's going through very difficult times right now. They don't know what to do. They feel like they're being driven and tossed about. Lord, we're praying, we're asking for you, those who are your children, that you would comfort them and bring them peace 
in grace through your word by your Holy Spirit. And then as our heads are bowed and we're praying, I want to ask you this morning who don't know Jesus, if this might be the time where you will give your life to Christ. And by that I mean you'll come as a sinner to God and you'll confess to him that you're a sinner, meaning that you've not lived a perfect life, far from it. And that's not just in what you've done, that's in how you think and the words that you've thought. You see, sin has permeated it to, in, so, uh, so completely that there was no other means of us being forgiven except Jesus came and took the penalty for sin, which is death. So you, if you don't know Jesus, then when I talk about you coming to Christ, it's coming as a sinner and repenting and saying, I want to get right with God. I want to turn from my old life and turn from all that sin. I want to turn to God and ask for his forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ. That God laid on him all of your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He has every right, a just, holy God, to send you to hell, but he sent his son instead, who bore the penalty for all your sin, all your crimes. And God laid it on him, and he said, now that's been taken care of. Now it's your choice. So you must choose, first of all, by raising your hand, saying, I want to get right with God. First thing, just raise up your hand. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up, as we read, that as you confess your confess Jesus before men. He will acknowledge your obedience to the gospel. He'll wipe away all your fears, all your excuses. In fact, some of the things you might feel guilty about, why, 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 I haven't known. Right now, he's going to wash them away because now you are being obedient. It's an obedience standing. So stand up and then walk up to the tables where someone will be there to lead you in prayer. So as we bow our heads, praying believers in the room, if that's you this morning and you want to get, you want to say yes to Jesus, to know that when you die, your destiny is heaven for all eternity with God. No questions about that. That's you. Just raise up your hand for a moment. Let me make sure I see that. We're praying. We know the battle that goes on. We all have gone through it. Just one more moment. We're praying. Would you stand? Let's stand together as the, as the church. Sing a last song and then I'll close with the scripture. <laughs>